0: So, um, I've asked uh, Stephen to read the Bible verses, so I'll just move out of the way. Uh, We're looking at James chapter 3 mostly today about fighting fire.
1: Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we, control, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even if the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing, and makes grand speeches that makes grand speeches but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire and among all the parts of the body the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. it can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, Reptiles and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and And bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring.
0: Thanks, Stephen. What a powerful passage, eh? James really wants us to take our words seriously. Now, it may sound strange, but when I really struggled in preparing this sermon because I I wondered whether we still needed to examine the way that we used words. After all, our society is so obsessed with political correctness and the just and inoffensive use of words. Surely a Jew from almost 2,000 years ago doesn't have much to teach us, right? But as I talked this over with Graham, I... It became very apparent that that James has much to teach us. In fact, we may need his warnings now more than ever. So let's dive right in. Our words change the direction of our lives. The thrust of James's first five verses in this chapter is that Our words have immense power to change the entire direction of our lives. Mm -hmm. It's easy to forget how important words are. We're bombarded by slogans like, actions speak louder than words. And sometimes that's true. But words are actually quite loud on their own. Think about the three girls from Logan who thought it would be a good idea to lie about their trip to Victoria when they flew back into Queensland. A few weeks ago, it was their words, their declarations, that landed them with criminal charges. Sure, there were actions accompanying that, but the words were what made the difference. Their words allowed them to interact interact with others when they shouldn't have been, and possibly to kill. Words have power. Proverbs has much to say about words. Such as this pithy proverb. A fool's proud talk becomes a rod that beats him, but the words of the wise keep them safe. Those are rods from Malaysian prison, by the way, <clears throat> for beating people. with <laughs> yeah. That, of course, is why James warns teachers that they have a greater responsibility. My words, my words, right here, right now, have power, and and I'm being held responsible by God for what I say. Uh, I think we might just finish and, and go to worship now. Okay. No, that's okay. I think I'll I think I'll risk the rest of the sermon. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <A> bit meta, <laughs> but the words. <clears throat> um. Sorry, I think I... Yeah, I'll keep going. So, Jesus actually says, the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. So Jesus sees the power of our words too. And we... (sighs) We actually try to handle this by building elaborate structures to filter our speech before it can cause harm. In Japan, the entire language is structured to enforce politeness. In postmodern, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, there's many forms of, of verbs that have different politeness levels. And there's many ways of saying things. And in post-modern Western culture we have the same sort of thing. We've created the complex architecture of political correctness and and uh, we did that to make sure that nobody gets offended. Jane Austen lived in Regency, England and she wrote about the rigid structures that her society had constructed to protect people in her famous novels such as Pride and Prejudice and Emma. Do you think that any of these methods work? Does political correctness make people nicer to one another? No. No. <laughs> Are Japanese unfailingly friendly and, and, and wonderful to each other? You may not know the answer to that, but it is no. <laughs> um, so here's an example. This is a pivotal, a pivotal scene from the most recent adaptation of, of Jane Austen's novel, Emma. Oh gosh! Sorry, my <laughs> slides have got my slides have been moved about somehow. So <laughs>
1: actually, speaking from gentlemen, yeah,
0: no. Before we get to Emma, this this slide was moved about. So before we get to Emma, I wanted to talk about um, Mr. A. Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the um yeah the idea that that teachers are responsible is scary but but even more scary is is the idea that we don't have control over our words right We've figured out how to control so much of creation more or less, but we still can't control our own mouths at all and it turns out that the tongue is the most transparent window to our soul, and whether we want it to or not, it pours out what's in our heart, which is, which is what Jesus was talking about here. But Jesus also said, <clears throat> um, actually it's what Jesus was talking about here, that a good person pours out good things from the treasury of their heart and an evil person pours out evil things from the treasury of their heart. And Jesus tells us that because of this, you must give an account on judgment day every idle word you speak the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you we talked a little bit in uh, the bible study about whether words or actions are judged Mm -hmm. turns out both (laughs) because words are actions Mm -hmm. this idea that words simply spill out who we are what we feel what we desire and hope for that's that's actually a terrifying idea for the people of this world. And and that's what Jesus was talking about when he said that um, the words that we speak defile us, that they're, they're um, from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying and slander. And so <clears throat> we see that, Even though we have all these structures to try to prevent that political correctness, language, um, whole politeness structures in Regency England, let's see how that works for Regency England. Now that I've set that up properly, let's watch this clip from Emma. So do you think Emma's elegant words (laughs) made her comment to Miss Bates any less hurtful? Miss Bates was uh, the dull person. That didn't. <laughs> no. It seems to be pretty good it era for <laughs> 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 Yeah. That was, it was too,
1: like, And this,
0: of course, after this is where we see Mr. Knightley saying to Emma, Badly done, Emma. Because it was badly done. In the same way, is it any less hurtful when we. Um, rename a brand of cheese but still speak of (laughs) (laughs) but still speak of indigenous Australians with disregard or even fail to speak of them at all we may build fire breaks to prevent the spread of the fire we may exercise controlled burning we may use fireproof materials But a tiny spark can still trigger a devastating destruction. It's the same for words. We can build all sorts of protections, resilience and gracious understanding, political correctness and taboos. But at the end of the day, an idle word spoken in spite can still ruin lives. So, what's the solution? Do you want to grab a seat, Rachel? (laughs) Well, the solution is pretty obvious. Prevent sparks. Then you'll never have any fires. But how do we prevent sparks? How do we stop vicious words being spoken? As Proverbs says, and James agrees, that is what wisdom is for. So let's turn now with James to the topic of wisdom. James reminds us in verse 13 that wisdom is practical. It leads to a good life. Too often we think of wisdom as something possessed by mysterious saints, taken out on holy days and polished for display. But wisdom is simply the art and craft of living well. Unfortunately, while it's easy to define what wisdom is, it's much harder to find good wisdom. Wisdom that leads to a fruitful, loving life. James attacks the so-called wisdom from exhibited by some of the Christians he's writing to, he accuses them of being driven by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. When these desires are joined, as they are too often in this world, they create a heart who cares only for themselves. Any care they have for others is only in order to use them as tools for their own purposes. James says that this sort of attitude will lead to disorder and evil, which, surprise, surprise, makes me think of the world today. For example, the selfishness of people protesting that their human rights are being violated. How? By being required to take measures to protect others and themselves from COVID-19. But their selfishness goes on to cause disorder and sickness. And what about the way that issues that genuinely need addressing are taken over by selfish people for their own goals and they so often end up showing no regard at all for the people who they're supposedly helping, instead willfully destroying their livelihoods. When God's wisdom is rejected, Society falls into chaos. And that's what we're seeing in the world. That's what we've always seen. And to be honest, that's partly our fault. As the church, we're supposed to demonstrate God's wisdom. James is speaking to the church when he condemns worldly wisdom because James's brothers and sisters are living out of worldly wisdom instead of godly wisdom and they should know better we should know better because we should know that worldly wisdom comes straight from hell look all of us struggle with wisdom we all struggle with worldly wisdom because it's it's the wisdom we were born with i think a few i think for myself of a few years ago when i was trying to make important decisions on behalf of Mosaic Church. And as much as it pains me to admit it, when I look back now, I can see how much I was driven by jealousy and selfishness and and how that impure wisdom undermined my ability to to be a stronger advocate for God's will. It came out in... Intemperate language and sarcasm and sometimes just pure spite. We all struggle with a mixed heart. And the more we give in to jealousy and selfishness, the more it will tear apart our relationships. But, thanks be to God, there is another way. And that way is the wisdom that God gives us. And remember, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you and he will not rebuke you for asking. He wants you to ask. The wisdom that God gives us is pure, untainted. A truly wise person is is peace-loving and making. The Greek word here is the origin of our word irenic. The wise person is always gentle with others. They'll listen to others and be willing to change their mind on a matter that doesn't violate God's directions. They're full of mercy and they go about doing good things. They're scrupulously fair and genuinely sincere and authentic. Imagine a church full of people like that. Wouldn't you love to hang out with them? That's what God is shaping us into. God is working in the hearts of the people of Renew to bring that about. And all we need to do is to keep asking him for wisdom. So as we think about how to live out James's high goals, we need to remember that what he's presented here. two extremes the completely worldly and hellish wisdom and the completely pure and godly wisdom it's rare to encounter anyone whether they're a christian or otherwise who's completely at one extreme or the other our goal then is to move towards the full expression of god's wisdom So long as we're facing in that direction and inching towards that goal, we're growing more like Christ. Now, sometimes we'll make progress in great leaps and bounds. Other times it'll slow down to a crawl and sometimes we might even slip back a little. But don't be discouraged. If you need wisdom, ask a generous God and he will... He will give it to you. And he won't rebuke you for asking. It doesn't matter how many times a day we need to ask God for help. He's eager to offer it. After all, when we gave our lives to Christ, God adopted us into his family. We're his now. And he desires the best for us. And he won't hold anything back. So what does it look like to be wise? Wouldn't it be easy if we could just say it looks like Sasha? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <him>
0: <laughs> Sasha disagrees.
1: Some of at this age, the cells are dying. <laughs> <laughs> A bit of information is going all the time.
0: We're all a mix of these wisdoms. So when James talks about godly wisdom, he's talking about the pure form. So we have to imagine it. Imagine a situation where there's something contentious. A wise person doesn't stir the pot. Instead, they'll try to understand everyone's perspective. I could do with more wisdom just this week. Uh, Someone asked me a question and I replied with what I thought was a reasonable answer. But because they hadn't defined their terms and I didn't ask them to, they ended up getting offended. So I wasn't wise enough. A wise person is always looking for opportunity to agree, to find agreement. I didn't do that. Years ago, a lapsed bishop, whose name was James Pike, Bishop Pike, he debated a skilled opponent who demonstrated the weaknesses of his doubts about Christianity. He was sort of sliding away from his faith. And despite having his poor logic and poor reasons completely destroyed by this debater, or perhaps because of that, Pike moved further away from the faith. But a few years later, he debated Francis Schaeffer, the famous apologist. And Schaeffer, unlike this first debater, looked for every opportunity to agree with Pike without compromising his position. And a couple of years later, when Pike died he was actually preparing to go to study under Francis Schaeffer. So Schaeffer had one pike over with his gentleness and his willingness to agree on what he could agree on. Always look for the opportunity to agree. I could take this advice, especially in my marriage, (laughs)
1: like
0: most husbands, I suspect, although maybe i'm just the worst i don't know I'm sure you're oh. down there. <laughs> yep a, a wise person is always gentle they think about how their words will impact the other person even when that means making their own life more difficult that doesn't mean that they aren't direct when directness is required a surgeon still uses a scalpel but they make sure that they use the sharpest scalpel possible in order to cause the least damage. And if a scalpel isn't necessary, they don't use it. A wise person doesn't show favoritism. In church, we we often show favoritism towards those who contribute more, especially time-wise. Certainly, we will spend more time with people who spend more time with us, but... But we must be careful not to forget about those who can't spend so much time. At afternoon tea, it's tempting to gravitate towards those we have more in common with. But what about those who are sitting on their own or standing on their own? Finally, a wise person is sincere. The Greek for this word actually means not hypocritical. Christians are constantly accused of hypocrisy and, and it is something that we should be ashamed of if we're ever guilty of it. God demands a single-minded commitment from us. Another way of expressing this is that a wise person is authentic. They don't pretend to be something that they're not. Authenticity is something that we, we value and we strive for at Renew. Now imagine being able to simply say what you think and what you feel without any filters and without worrying about hurting anyone. Imagine a church full of people free to share their struggles, their joys, their fears and failures and their triumphs without worrying about what people will think or say. As our hearts are transformed into the likeness of Christ, we can increasingly do that. Secure in God's gentle, humble wisdom. Relaxing into our wonderful identity as children of God. Something to take joy in, as the kookaburras are. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wisdom. And we thank you that your wisdom is not something that we have to get to level 99 in order to win over. It's something that you offer us from day one. And all we have to do is ask for it and you'll give it to us. Help us to recognize when we need it and to be humble enough to ask. And to be humble enough to receive it and to use it. Help us to be gentle, loving, kind, agreeable people who sow peace who plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness in this world and in the next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.